Welcome to the Happy Startup School webinar. Um, today I am talking to our friend Haya, who's joining us from sunny, I believe, San Francisco. Um, it's bright and early in the morning. He's recovering from pneumonia, so he's, um, he's gone out of his way to join us today. Um, we first met Haya two years ago, I think. In I think so, yeah. yeah. In a good way, it feels like a lifetime ago. But um, yeah, I think a couple of years ago. And since then, he's been on the path, um, well, working in different companies, writing, as well as um, starting his new um, startup, which he's going to talk a little bit about today. Um, a startup's called Life Folder, and I'll let Hire explain a little bit about that. But uh, I suppose, in essence, it's trying to tackle one of life's final taboos, really, which is around uh, death and planning for the end of our lives. Um, some of you may have known, and I don't want to bring you down, but my, my father passed away about eight days ago which um, kind of led me to think, okay, I want to cancel any work for a couple of weeks and not think about it. But actually, knowing higher, knowing what he's up to and actually feeling like I'm part of this journey, it feels like a, a real pertinent time to be doing this. So I'm really keen to just, I suppose, uncover what's behind it and also learn about, you know, I'm on both sides. I'm trying to understand how can this be easier for people to know how do you plan for someone passing on to make it easy for the people who are left behind, but also for you as an individual to know how you can... Um, you can just think about those difficult questions really because I think that's one of the things I found is that is difficult and it just makes people a bit awkward and how can we how can we tackle these questions head on and actually accept it and, and do it in a way that actually makes everyone's life easy so welcome Haya um thank you do you want to just explain a little bit about about life folder because you can probably do that a bit better than I can yeah sure so um what we're trying to do is to actually encourage people to think and talk about uh healthcare like the future of their healthcare. Um, which realistically, in our case, means uh, like right at the end. So, you know, what kind of thoughts and wishes do you have about um, how you want your death to play, play out, essentially? Um, it's a very taboo subject, as you mentioned, and there's a lot of people who are not very good at, at thinking or talking about death. But it turns out that a really important part of that is to um, talk to your loved ones and actually explain to them what it is you want and how what your vision is for how your own end of life is going to play out. And um, the way to do that is to, have a, is to have a good conversation with people. But it turns out that a lot of people don't know how to start that conversation even. So what we're doing is we're coming in and we're using um, a Facebook Messenger bot that we've created that actually talks you through the entire conversation. It talks to you about uh, priorities and wishes. So things along the line of... Um, if you were unable to speak uh, or communicate with your grandkids, for example, would that still be a life worth living? That kind of thing. And so you're thinking really deeply about what people's values are, right? So that question, there's no right and wrong answer. For some people, it's like, absolutely, I don't care. Keep me alive for as long as possible. And, you know, that, that's what I believe. And other people are like, well, actually, if I can't sit on my sofa, drink a beer and watch the game, my life just isn't worth it. And it turns out that's really different from person to person. And the other thing it turns out is people just don't sit and think about that ever, really. And so by posing some of these questions in a conversational form, it means you don't just have a long list of questions ahead of you where you're kind of skipping ahead and going, oh, this is horrible, this is horrible, I'm not reading that. It's like talking to a person. They're, they're asking you a single question and you kind of sit there and mull it over for a while and you try, try and figure out how you really feel about this and what your idea is about this. Mm. The other thing that this conversational piece does is that it actually gives you the vocabulary to help you 
talk through this with real human beings later on with your friends, your family, your health proxies, anybody who's involved in this process, even your doctor really, is to really give you the information you need and the vocabulary you need. So one of the things we're, uh, we're talking about is like um, uh, life support, right? So if there's a particular situation that comes up, would you want to be a life support or not? And if you don't really know what life support is, which is true for a lot of people, then, the, then you say, actually, I don't know what this is. You press the button and the bot will talk to you in a lot more detail, explaining what it is, when it is used, what the success rates are, that kind of thing. And you can actually drill quite deep into the conversation in the process. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we actually had this situation with Adelic about eight days ago where we were brought into a room and they asked us what we would do if, if, it, if things didn't go well, which as it turned out, they didn't. And they said, you know, we don't think he would pull through if he was on life support. And they asked us what we, what we wanted to do. This is like two in the morning with my mom and my brother. And they were like, well, some people discuss this at dinner, you know, and, and they know exactly what the answer is. And I was like, what sort of dinner party do you go to? <laughs> Maybe one's yeah. the um, But it's a weird thing to ask at a point where you really don't have much time to make that choice. So I'm guessing what you're trying yeah. to do is make life easy for people who are in that situation so they don't actually have to make those difficult calls because it's you're wondering like is it for me or is it for them and that's the the thing i found is like are they just are we just doing it for ourselves and that's quite a selfish reason to keep someone going yeah for sure and i mean i yes it is a selfish reason but ultimately you know you love someone and you don't want them to go that is like the basic starting point for all of this um and you know a lot of people are comfortable enough in their own skin to say hey i love me i love what i stand for i love what i've accomplished and they don't want to, to go either, right? Hmm. I think the ultimate goal of having these conversations in the first place is to be secure enough in your knowledge and your intimacy with that person that they're able to, you know, when you are asked a question in a hospital as to what X would have wanted, then you're able to answer unwaveringly. You hmm. say, actually, this person wants that. And I know this. It's not what I would have done. It's not what I agree with but we've talked about this enough, they've written stuff down, I know exactly what it is they want, and it is blah. And I think that, that thing, that, that sureness of the answer, um, helps a lot of things, right? It helps the grieving process, it helps, the, it helps being able to give that answer. Suddenly it's not you giving an opinion, it's you giving their opinion. And that makes a lot of that process much easier. It also makes it easier for the hospital staff, right? If they, can see that you have clearly talked this through, thought this through, and you're able to answer on somebody's behalf, um, that becomes a very different conversation for them as well, because they don't have to second guess whether you have hidden motivations or whatever it is. It's like, okay, it's a simple question and a simple answer. It's a very complicated emotional landscape that lives behind those two things. But ultimately it's a yes, no question, and it's a yes or no answer. And I think that's something that not a lot of people realize that ultimately life could come down mm. to a simple answer, um, but it often does. I mean, there's, there's three different ways of dying and one of them involves, you know, slow mm -hmm. and in a hospital and with gradual decline. That is the hardest for everybody concerned, but that is true for a large number of us. So I think not planning for it is, is it a bit naive almost. <clears throat> so I guess this isn't something that you'd want to bring up on the first date. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those interesting things. Um, you mentioned that you don't talk about it over dinner, and we, I've, I've talked to a few hundred people now in the course of this company, mm -hmm. um, and it turns out that a lot of people talk about some of these things, right? Uh, organ donation, for example, is very interesting 
-hmm. in that the assumption with organ donation is that you already passed away, but people are much, much more happy to talk about that. And I'm like, that's interesting. You're not willing to talk about the, the process of dying, but you're happy to talk about the logistics of what happens when you're dead. Mm. But I think it's that, that, that last stretch mm. before the final kind of line that people are scared of. Like, am I in pain? Am I letting people down? Am I being a burden? All that kind of stuff. I mean, when you're, once you're dead, it doesn't matter. You're gone, right? Mm. But I think that is a really big kind of um, emotional and psychological difference to people. And that makes some of those conversations very hard. <clears throat> so I guess the big question for me is um, why? <laughs> why life folder? How did this come about? Why yeah. you, you know, what, what was, what was the, the source of this idea? So I'm, I'm Dutch and I come from a family where we talk quite openly about death. You know, my mum was in healthcare. Um, I've kind of always known from as, as, young, from as old as I can remember, uh, I've always known that there was a folder to look for. Uh, my parents had a, had a little box, a little folder where they were like, look, if anything happens to us, go look in that folder. That is where, um, that is where we have information about our will, about whatever lawyers you need to talk to. If you're not 18 yet, you go and live with your aunt and uncle, and here's all the documentation for that. And that never struck me as struck me as weird. It was like it was very pragmatic, very Dutch, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, there is there is a box I can look at to find all the information I need. I was like, okay, I never looked in the box. I still haven't. Uh, my mm -hmm. parents are still alive, but um, it's kind of a, a, a safety blanket. I, you know, if you drum into your children that they know what to do, then you know, if you don't need it, great. If you need it, fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess a, lot, uh, a part of what I'm saying is that I've always been kind of thinking about uh, this kind of thing. And it only occurred to me relatively recently that that's not a common conversation for people to have. I started polling some of my friends and like, hey, so have you talked to people about death? And they go, what are you talking about? Are you sick? What's wrong? Like, no, 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 you're getting this wrong. Um, you were sick. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 you, now you are. Um, but then... About a year ago, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who had just sold a company and he was kind of uh, just doing cool little art projects and stuff. And um, he was like, I, I really want to start a company again. And I think I would like to start a company with you. I like how you think. And I was like, oh, that's really flattering, but I'm never doing this again. Sorry. Um, and then, you know, skip ahead. We know, we know where that ended up. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of really interesting conversations. And at some point he did a really good pitch to me about a, about a company idea he had. Um, and I was like, this is really interesting. You know, there's, I suddenly this world opened up where I would be an entrepreneur again and uh, figure out how, how I can do something good in the world. And I think a big part of that was actually, I mean, the big shift about how I think about what I do um, was actually part of the altitude I went to with you guys. I was like, look, you only had so and so many hours on the planet. Um, how are you going to spend those hours? Um, and is it going to be meaningful? Where do you find happiness? Where do you find meaning? And so I was thinking about this business idea. I was like, this is a cool idea. I'm ready to start a company again. I'm just not sure if this is like the big, uh, big impact idea that I had. And chance had it, I flew out to Norway um, to speak at an event there. Um, and I judged a couple of startup panels and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was pitched a lot of stuff that was absolute garbage. Um, and what I mean, isn't that the people who were doing it were stupid. They were just starting companies for the wrong reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, we don't need a lot of the companies, a lot of startups that are out there right now. They don't really make the world better. They don't really, um, there is enough chance you might get rich, but really that's the only upside for, for the world, is my opinion. Um, and so as I was flying back from Norway, I had all these thoughts swelling through my head about, okay, I know what I don't want. I'm not really sure what I do want kind of thing, right? So you had like the, the push-pull motivation, but I only had the push part of that. Mm -hmm. I was listening to some podcasts and I, by chance, re-listened to a Planet Money podcast uh, that, it, that it aired several years ago. I heard it then and it made a big impact on me. They played it again about a little town in La Crosse, Wisconsin, where they had 100% coverage or 90, 99 point something percent coverage of uh, advanced care plans. And the idea was like through social pressure, through using the hospital system, through you know, loads of different layers of approaching this, they managed to get uh, full coverage of everybody thinking about, talking about uh, end of flight planning. And I was like, suddenly everything just fell into place. I was like, okay, this is something that feels like it's a big enough challenge mm -hmm. that it could be valuable from a business point of view, but it's also a big enough social kind of question, right? It is, it's a big social change and it's something that you have to tackle with a little bit of tact and, and um, emotional involvement in order to actually be able to get off the ground. And so I spent a lot of time thinking and obviously I was in a plane so I didn't have internet so I started writing loads of notes mm -hmm. and uh, by the end of that flight I kind of went and saw my, my friend Colin again I was like hey so you kind of sparked that idea in my head again of, of doing another company but now we should talk about which company we do so i kind of he pitched his company at me again i pitched my company at his at him again we talked about it for a long time and for a while we were working on both because uh, we were like not really willing to make the decision yet and he put quite a lot of work into his and that kind of stuff and ultimately we we're like okay let's let's give this uh, life folder idea um a shot and here we are uh, about to launch it. So it's been a, it's been a roller coaster. Um, but I feel it's one of those things where you're actually able to make a very, very big impact mm -hmm. on people's lives. And I feel like a big impact for good um, in the startup world with a couple of uh, ideas around how you run the company so it's a good place to work for your staff. Mm -hmm. A lot of those kind of things, I mean, this, this particular idea just ticked off so many of those boxes. But I was thinking, hey, this is just what we should try and make happen. And here we are. And was there any resistance given that it is a shift in behavior, I guess, away from the way people currently do things, particularly in the US, um, to, to, to have those difficult conversations? It was only sort of, you're thinking, yeah, it's a great big problem, but actually it's not gonna be easy. Does that excite you or scare you? Well, anything that's easy isn't necessarily that worth doing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. We have a few competitors in this field, but we have no, nobody who's going about it this way. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really exciting. Um, the thing that actually worried me most to begin with is that we're talking about using conversational interfaces or chatbots or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. um, to talk about death. And our very first question was, is this even slightly a good idea? Is this a way, that people are willing to interact with uh, a bot and talk about you know, something as, as taboo and as, as in, incisive as death. And my, uh, that, was the, that was the first thing we tested. We, yeah. um, we started talking to lots of people. I was like, hey, so how do you feel about talking about a bot about this? 
And I kind of expected a 50-50 or something where people go, oh, mm, not sure about that. And the other half going, yeah, sure, why not? But it turns mm -hmm. out it was overwhelmingly positive, um, which surprised me a little, actually. Um, but yeah, it was overwhelmingly positive. And people were like, okay, well, I like this bot because it doesn't judge me. It doesn't, yeah. it takes as much time as you like. You know, you can take a break whenever you can. And it's like the, 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 the medium of, of chats mm -hmm. adds a little bit of urgency because when you're texting back and forth with a friend, you don't want to leave them hanging that long. Yeah. Um, but it's also asynchronous, right? So if you put your phone down for a while because you have to go to a loo, or you have to go stir a pot or something, your friend goes, oh, it took you 10 minutes to respond. It doesn't matter because I was doing something else. And I feel like that dynamic works really well. A phone call is like, oh, if you hang up, that's the end. This yeah. is you put your phone down. 10 minutes later, the bot pings you again and goes, hey, so uh, I'm here when you need me. And 23 hours later, it goes again. Hey, so remember me? Let's, let's continue this conversation. So we actually have a way of reactivating people, which is really important for, for this type of conversation. Because it turns out a lot of people are just not ready to have it, right? And they, yeah. need, they see some of the questions and they go, oh, God, this is heavy. I'm not ready to think about what it means to be stuck in a chair as a vegetable kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, or I'm not ready to. And some of the language people use is amazing, right? It's, it's really derisive of something that might happen to you, you know? Um, and I find that's really interesting. But yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, that's for sure. And in terms of, I mean, you talked about doing, you know, a couple of hundred customer interviews. Was this, was that the way you kind of started off testing out the idea or did you, what, I suppose what, my, my, what I'm interested in is like why a chatbot and why, why not, you know, a person at the end of the line, was it just you wanted to create something that was scalable or was it just, yeah, absolutely. yeah. It's for us, it's all about scalability. And we were like, look, there is a way of doing this company, which is a giant call center full of people who, but then the unit economics doesn't work out, right? These people are not going to be as well trained as they need to be. I mean, I've never called a call center and had an experience where I thought, you know what? That was awesome. And meaningful. <laughs> yeah, that was a beautiful emotional experience. We sometimes have a uh, phone conversation that is practical and gets the job done. But even those don't tend to be um, uh, fulfilling, mm -hmm. put it that way. And so we thought about that and kind of went, well, there will be people who can't or are unwilling to use a chat interface. You know, um, people who are afraid of technology or people who don't like technology or people who don't trust, in this case, Facebook will launch another platforms later, but people who don't trust Facebook with their information or whatever, right? And I think there's two ways of thinking about that. One is, oh, no, we have to find a solution for them. Or the other one is like, well, this is not a product for you yet. Mm -hmm. I think we've decided to do that first. Um, for one thing, because it saves on development time, but yeah. also because you know we're in a very early testing phase and we need to be able to move and change quickly. Um, we just submitted our like ninety first, I think, version of this conversation to our servers. So it's been massively, you know, it's been changing so much. Um, the, the, actually, it was funny. We have a, uh, a medical advisor on our board who went through the conversation and went, "No, this is all wrong. This is all wrong." And I was like, "Oh crap! Here we go." <laughs> and um, I finished a conversation with her and she sat back and was like, this, this is not right. This is not what we're doing. This is not, this isn't, this isn't it. And I was like, okay, well, what is it? <laughs> so we talked about a lot of detail about, we, we've gotten too practical basically. And it turns out these questions don't need to be practical. They need to explain the values and the vision of the person. Mm. Um, 
because the nuts and bolts don't really matter, right? It isn't whether or not you want to be on a ventilator. Nobody wants to be on a ventilator. It's no. not about whether you want to be fed through a tube. Nobody wants to be fed through a tube. Mm. The, 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 the bigger vision pictures are how important to you is that you can X, right? Mm. How important is it that you can um, speak to your grandkids? How important to you is it that you can um, uh, clothe yourself and wash yourself mm. and those kind of things? And those are practical questions, but you're not specifically talking about do you need your right hand to live kind of thing. Yeah. So the idea go on. That's so the idea is that people can make a decision on your behalf based on that vision of their life. Exactly. Because I think if you have a good enough picture of their values and, and, and priorities, then a lot of this, these decisions become obvious without having to know the specific, oh, if I had this kind of brain tumor, I want that done. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, this only becomes relevant when somebody is so far gone that they cannot make their own decisions. Um, and up until that point, they can continue changing their mind and, and adding their priorities and adding and um, I guess interpolating the, 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 the vision they have for what they want. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's also changes throughout life, right? Mm -hmm. So for our customers, we're aiming at 25 to 45 year olds for now. But we also um, acknowledge that this is probably the first conversation of many that they will have about this, mm -hmm. where, you know, if you have kids, your, your uh, importance and your uh, priorities might shift from oh, I don't want to be alive if this happens to, mm, actually, I don't care if I'm in a, an electric wheelchair and I have to drive around with a little joystick as long as I can see my grandkids grow up. Yeah. And that shift of perspective, you cannot uh, envision until something changes in your life. Mm -hmm. Or another example is, you know, some people live with chronic illnesses um, and that also shifts your uh, medical, uh, your medical literacy almost, uh, which helps um being able to actually talk about the, the pieces that are important to uh to you around that illness and that helps you make different decisions too sure um cool we just got a question there we can we can address in a minute um so quickly just i know you this isn't the first company you've run um do you want to talk a little bit about your background and and i suppose what you got up to before you, you started life folder yeah sure so i uh I have a journalism degree and I was doing a lot of journalism early in my career. Um, and then at some point started writing a lot of books. So I was writing books about photography, building my own photography equipment and kind of doing general nerding on that field, on that front. Um, and one of the things that I ended up building was a, uh, was a laser trigger for a camera. So you break a laser beam, it takes a photo. And um, that was really cool, I thought. So I did a Kickstarter campaign for that kind of as a project which kind of by accident turned into a company because um, I realized that that takes a lot more than just me to, to deliver this thing. Uh, and that company became Trigger Trap. So I was building a, a photography um, equipment company that had like a mobile app and various other accessories and stuff. And um, it went really well. At some point we had, I think, 14 or 15 staff. Um, we, you know, we've sold hundreds of thousands of units to nine, 90 or so countries in, around the world. We had distribution everywhere. So it was a very successful company for a bit. And then at some point we overreached a little. Um, we did a, um, a Kickstarter campaign for a, for a new generation product that would be like a, another camera trigger that was um, going to be the best camera trigger in the world, of course. Uh, and it would be, we had a prototype that worked really well. Uh, and we raised a 
lot of money on Kickstarter, about half a million dollars. Um, and then the problem started. <laughs> uh, we had some really interesting challenges with some vendors um, who basically misunderstood what the product was for and, and at what kind of volumes we wanted to manufacture it, which means that the manufacturing cost was way, way higher than we had hoped. And you see where this is going. What was meant to be a $200 product became a $500 product. And, you know, as a $200 product, you, you have a certain set of expectations and, you know, okay, it does this, but it isn't as well built, yada, 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 right? So we're building a $200 product, which ended up needing a $500 price tag. And I looked at it and I was like, this is totally a valid addition to, to a camera bag at $200. At $500, that is a very different picture. And it should be a very different product, but it isn't. And ultimately, we did the math and discovered we weren't actually able to deliver anyway. Uh, reached out for some investors, couldn't do that. Long story short, um, we ended up shutting down that uh, product and got a lot of very angry Kickstarter backers. Uh, we refunded whatever money we had left, um, but that turned out to be the beginning of the end for the company. So it's been kind of spiraling for the last two years uh, since the end of February. No, since the end of February, yeah. Uh, it hasn't had any more staff, so the company's completely shut down now. And... Um, it's been an incredible journey, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's included a lot of really challenging things. Uh, there was a pretty bad co-founder breakup in there. There was uh, a successful crowdfunding campaign and an unsuccessful one. There was hiring, there was uh, rounds of layoffs. There was, I learned so much from it. It's not even, it's not even funny. Um, but it was also a really emotional journey. And I realized that the reason that I, that I was able to pull through on this was that I care about photographers, right? If you care about your audience, that goes a really long way to igniting that passion and igniting that motivation for what you do. Imagine that's true for you guys too, right? You care about startups. And so that's why you're able to get out of bed in the morning. And you know, as an entrepreneur, that 80% of, of everything you do is, feels like it might not be worth it. That's true for me anyway. You know, you, you, but you don't know which 80%. Yeah. So when you look back, you go, oh, I just wasted <laughs> a solid half of my past month. Um, but you don't really know in advance which half of it is you're, you're, you're wasting. But the passion and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the things that drive you is what actually managed to let you deliver on this. Um, and so for a little while, I did another company in the, in the marketing space. I took it over for a friend of mine as the CEO, um, which was super exciting. But it turns out I don't really... I got a little bit bitten there because I don't really care that much about the, the people we were helping, mm -hmm. uh, which was marketing managers. And, and I'm sure they're lovely people, but I'm like, I cannot get passionate about helping marketeers deliver their product, deliver their message. I just wasn't, wasn't that. And that really informed my, my starting to search for what to do next. I was like, it has to be something that is uh, more, it has to be something that is more basically. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder whether that's, um, it's a bit like us when we were running our agency. For a long time, I was quite happy to do work for clients that maybe I didn't believe in the product or I didn't believe in the audience. But, you know, it was work and it was fine and it paid the bills and you can do the best you can do. But then I don't know what it is. Maybe it's age, maybe it's experience, but just always I start to get less um, client friendly, maybe. <laughs> but you start to think, well, why, what's the point of this thing? You know, why are we doing yeah. that? Do I want to be spending the next six months of my life on this as great as uh, for you, it's just not getting me excited anymore. Maybe for me, that excitement is the thing that 
gives you the energy and the passion to actually, like you said, get up in the morning, work those late nights or deliver a great product. You know, you need to find something that fuels you rather than just something that you think is going to, um, well, move the market really. Yeah. And I think finding that spark is so crucial. And I think that's something interesting enough that helps you really help with, um, actually asking some really hard questions <clears throat> and, and, helping me articulate what is important to me. It turns out that mm. doing something that's meaningful, I didn't seek it out, but I kind of found it in Trigger Trap. That was something mm. that I cared about because, because I'm a photographer, because I cared about the target audience, didn't find it in the other company. Mm. And then when I moved to the US, I actually became a journalist again for a while. I was writing for TechCrunch. Still am, uh, but I've kind of dialed down the number of stories I do every month a little <laughs> bit. Um, and that was a really interesting exercise as well, because you talk to a lot of really passionate entrepreneurs and you start seeing what drives them, right? And that's mm. really different from person to person. Yeah, exactly. Carlos says hi. Hi, hi. Uh. <laughs> hi, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, he's not with me at the moment, so he's, he's watching in his little cabin somewhere. Um, <clears throat> um, what was I going to say? You've lost my train of thought there. Oh, yeah, so in terms of... Um, you, you legislated San Francisco was, was basically writing for TechCrunch. Was that the reason you went out there? Or was it, was it for the previous company that you helped out? No. So that was actually uh, a slightly longer story. My, uh, my wife's mum had a, had a pretty bad stroke um, a while ago and um, basically lost a lot of her faculties. Uh, her brain doesn't quite work as well as it did. She's lost vision in like half her field of view. Nothing wrong with her eyes. It's a, it's a brain thing. But that's basically making her struggle a little bit. She's not able to drive anymore and stuff. And, and my wife was like, well, we, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time out there because I need to help out. And um, on her third trip out to California, I was like, well, maybe we should um, think about whether this would be an opportune time for us to move. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of tricky because I was still running Trigger Trap. But at the same time, I had already started training up my COO to be more of a kind of hands-on kind of leader. I had a conversation with him and I was like, hey, so if I hand over all of the company to you to, for you to run, could you do it? And he was like, wait, are you asking me to run your company for you? Because that's, that's weird. And so we started thinking about that, we talked about that, and eventually just decided that, okay, you, are, you know what, family comes first. Let's uh, pick up our everything and move to, move to California. So, Luckily, she lives uh, not far from here, in not far from Silicon Valley. And I was like, well, it's certainly better than moving to Alaska from my point of view as a startup node. Um, but yeah, so that's how we ended up here. And I kind of started looking around for, for what I want to do next. Actually, I remember the question I was going to ask, and it, it wasn't a question, actually, it was an observation. I remember at Altitude, um, I remember the last day we did a, uh, uh, an exercise called Questions and Ideas, q and I. I think Vero from, from Netherlands ran it. And yep. the idea is you have one question, you can ask the group and you go around and get some really quick feedback from, from everyone in super quick time. And most people are asking things like, um, you know, I think one of them was actually, we want to do a crowdfunding campaign. Okay, hi, is the person to talk to you. Go and talk to them, get feedback, move to the next person. Other people asking things about, I've got an idea, how do I get started? And you were walking around with a post-it saying, what should I do with my life? <laughs> that sounds remember. like me. Yeah, I was like, I've got 30 seconds to answer this. <laughs> Yeah, well, what should I do with my life, Lawrence? This is my calling. If I could do it in 30 seconds, I'll be out of business. Um, right. But no, it was, it was just funny because you were definitely on, on the path to something. And it, I find it interesting. I think you posted it in the, 
the Altitude group a few weeks or a few months back saying, okay, I've started this thing. It's your fault, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like you said, there was well, I think it's, I always feel like, obviously, right, your life is a, is a, is just sum of all your experiences, is some of all your conversations, sums of everything. And I'm just always curious. And I end up having lots of conversations with people on Twitter, in real life, in, with random strangers, with old friends. And it turns out you get a lot of insights out of what people, how people perceive you and, and what, what people think you should do. Um, a lot of that isn't accurate. I think a lot of people are very willing to give advice about stuff where they don't really have uh, skin in the game, so it doesn't really matter to them. Mm. Um, but I also think that there is a lot to be said for just being opportunistic and following a, a path of curiosity. And I think that's why I am where I am, right? It's, it's, I saw an opportunity. I thought, hey, maybe there is something here. And there are several ways of exploring this, but the, the fastest way to make this, get this out of my system is to start a company mm-hmm. and see what happens. You know, we've, we've done some big prototypes and, and we try to find out what, what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, it's, it's massively changed the direction of what we've done. But the goal has always been to fail as fast as possible. If it turns out that there is no way to make this company work, then in a way that's a blessing because you wasted as little time as possible on it and you can move on to the new thing, you know, take a breath, you know, think about what else you want to try and solve and go and try and solve that problem. And if it doesn't work out or if it turns out to be impossible, take a deep breath and try again. Right? It's uh, it's not so much about persistence as it is about having a realistic view of what is possible and what isn't mm-hmm. and to not be shy about giving up if it doesn't working. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a much bigger problem in startups than people not starting. It's like if you keep going for too long, then that's, that's, that's painful for everybody involved. I think. Yeah. But it sounds like you had that, le- that urge to give it a go and not just have those regrets. If you, you know, you didn't do it, put it that way. You wanted to give it a best yeah. shot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's just the way, I'm not sure that's the way to live life, but it's definitely the way for me to live my life. Um, yeah. And just be really opportunistic and as a result i end up helping a lot of other people right i'm advising a lot of startups at the moment mm-hmm. and i'm enjoying that a lot as well because it means i have another set of perspectives that help you know that help me sit down and not think about death for a few hours which is quite nice <laughs> you're doing the opposite of everyone else you're, you're having to face it every, every day and <laughs> exactly. um it's quite interesting i think i mentioned this before our, our webinar when we were setting this up this, is, this book i'm reading oh, i read now tuesdays with maury don't know if you read it or it's quite a well-known book so a short read. Um, yeah, I kind of read it a few weeks before my dad died. So it's kind of a, a bit dark, but actually one of the lines that comes out of it, um, which I think is quite pertinent given what you're doing, what we do is um, they say when you, I think the saying that came out is when you learn how to die, you learn how to live. <clears throat> and by facing the end of your life, yes, it can be depressing. Yes, it's something we don't want to plan for, but actually it actually makes your life more meaningful because you, that doesn't, be, I think like you said at the beginning, when you're looking through your life folder, um, with your family's house, it then doesn't become scary because it's sorted and it's dealt with and you don't have to worry too much. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Okay, I'm conscious of time. Um, we have got a question here from Ines, who, um, who's based in our space in Brighton. She says, is your conversation going to take into account the different cultures or beliefs in the future or do you going to develop a chat that's universal? So I'm guessing you're focused that's on... That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, and are you, are you just focused on the US? Is that is that your focus? I mean, it's not a small... So- the U.S. is a big enough market that we could potentially um, 
take abroad. Um, I'm already talking to people in Norway and in the UK. Um, I mean, there's nothing in practice to say that we couldn't move this abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, from a kind of uh, cultures and beliefs point of view, um, I believe that what we have developed so far is pretty universal. It doesn't, I mean, it does have a few religious questions, but they're religious questions in an incredibly broad sense of the word. Mm -hmm. In that, you know, would you like to speak to a priest in your last days? That kind of thing. Um, or I think we actually say uh, a, a leader in your faith. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, religious leader. Mm -hmm. um, but because we are actually a uh, conversational interface, we can do a lot of branching. Right now it's a single track. But, you know, it would be an obvious thing to ask early on is how old are you and how is your health? If you are a 80-year-old who is, you know, not doing great, that's going mm -hmm. to be a very different conversation with a 25-year-old who, you know, mm -hmm. is full of spunk and ready to kind of take on the world. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the questions you ask, you wouldn't ask of one, but you would ask of, ask of the other, right? Uh, I mean, for a 25-year-old, questions about grandchildren feel a little bit weird because mm -hmm. statistically you're unlikely to have grandkids yet. Mm -hmm. um, and for a 80 year old you wouldn't necessarily ask about oh what are your top three dream holidays because you're probably not going get to get around to going to them right yeah. depending on your health um, and so I think right now the conversation is a single track which mm -hmm. tries to be universal but I do imagine we will have different versions uh, incorporating different language for sure mm -hmm. so um, both in terms of speaking to a millennial audience versus a baby boomer baby boomer audience or um, like completely different languages here in uh, here in the US we may do a, um, a Chinese and a Spanish and a uh, Italian version for example. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so we're trying to figure out how to actually go through all that because we're very early on in the in the path of what we're doing we're trying to keep it as simple as possible yeah. but yeah no the idea is definitely to in, uh, uh, incorporate other stuff mm -hmm. um, we could we've also talked about you know incorporating specific religious things so at some point we might say hey are you religious do you want to know what a rabbi says says about this mm -hmm. and then slightly further down the line it's not in, impossible to develop a tool to let your specific rabbi uh, insert comments at certain points in the conversation so you know you kind of have oh uh, my my rabbi bob uh, mm -hmm. actually has direct input into this conversation at the points where it's relevant and you have a, a, a bomb button basically we get okay what does my rabbi want and mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting way of making that conversation a lot more personal because these are you know, some religious leaders have a lot of um, impact in people's spiritual life mm -hmm. and by extension what they think about death. And I don't think we would ever take an option away from someone, right? So if there is a religion out there that says strictly no organ donation, it turns out there isn't. Religions mm -hmm. tend to be pretty good about organ donation. But if there is a religion that says strictly no organ donation, we still don't think we should take that choice away from someone, right? Mm -hmm. you, you're like, hey, so your religious leader says no, but if you want to do yes, then you do you. This is about you. So ultimately, I mean, we try to be values neutral. Um, I mean, I have my own opinions and choices about what I think is best for the, the world at large. Mm -hmm. But what we're really trying to do is to unlock people's um, ability to make their wishes known, whatever those wishes are. Mm -hmm. I, really, I remember, just came into my head, there was um, 
a designer, I can't remember his name now, who created this, um, I can't remember what it was called, I think it was called like Lifeline or something like that, where you basically put in how old you are and you put in, you know, your health habits and, and it'll basically tell you at what age you would die and what of. It's yeah. pretty dark. And then it basically say, okay, and I think at the time it was like 35, okay, you're 35, you're probably like 51% of the way through your life. You would die in a hospital here, you'll die of this. And it's like, fuck, <laughs> you know, literally yeah. at that point you can just see this timeline, okay, I've got less left than, I, than I've lived. So it's quite a stark way to, to actually kind of face that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Have, have you got any infographics that are going to bombard people at the, <laughs> to make them think in this way? Possibly. I mean, I think for now, we're really focused on the conversational side and the educational side. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, especially here in the US, we have a big challenge with people who are not medically literate. They don't know what any of the terms mean. Uh, we also have a challenge with people who are not actually literate, right? There's a lot of people who just aren't um, aren't reading at a very high level. And because we're trying to reach everybody, that becomes a really fascinating challenge because you're trying to impart some quite complex ideas and complex, um, emotionally complex conversations to try and, and, and guide people along. But getting to the end of that conversation is... Uh, mm is complicated person to person, never mind in involving a, a chatbot that may sometimes be a little bit tone deaf to something that's said and <laughs> screw yeah. stuff up every now and again. <laughs> and the rabbi bot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so quickly, um, how do people get involved? I know you're at a stage of testing. Is it possible for people to, to get a, a sort of road test? Yeah, absolutely. So we are currently in a closed beta. So we're trying to get as many people as possible to go through this. The reason it's closed is that I want to make sure that I'm able to have a quick chat with people before they do it. Um, so we send out an email that actually explains, you know, this is the of the product, this is what you can expect. Um, the conversation is in a pretty well-developed state, all the stuff that goes with it. I mean, we send mm -hmm. out a document that isn't yet uh, legally binding. Um, so we're trying to resolve that with the lawyers right now. So there's a couple of things. I mean, it's a beta, right? It's a beta for a young startup. So there will be some, mm -hmm. some niggles here and there. But ultimately, what I'm hoping to get feedback on is whether this is a useful tool, whether people feel like this is a, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's easy to talk, the bot's called Marie, whether it's easy to talk to Marie, whether it's helpful, whether people get something out of it, whether they, um, you know, just, just the emotional impact above anything else. And then eventually, when we get the documents ready, we can send them out, but that's slightly further down the line. <clears throat> so yeah, if you want to get involved, and if anybody wants to test it, Absolutely, we're easy to find. It's called Life Folder. So find us on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and send us a message with your email address and we'll send out an invite. It's life-folder.com, right? Is that right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, finally, uh, we're off to the US in October and I believe you might be joining us. So we're taking altitude over to the US. The Alps don't exist in the US, but, you know. <laughs> Altitude, altitude's a thing, you know, we just take it different places. So, um, yeah, we're off to Oregon in October. And, yeah, if anyone out there is interested, head to Altitude, uh, the Altitude website and check it out. Um, the idea is a simple one. We take 25 people to the mountains. We, we get to hang out. We get to ask those meaningful questions. Higher gets to progress even more probably than we normally would. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, really, we get to build strong connections, really, because, uh, you know, you've had... I'm sure you're still in touch with people who we met two years ago, even if you don't meet them face-to-face, -face, you know, there's still regular chats between people and collaborations. I seem to remember you flying to Ireland to watch one of our mates yep. in a race. This is the kind of thing that happens at Happy Startups, where you just kind of 
get sent around the world and think, how did I get here? Well, that was funny. That was uh, one of the participants had, had asked their question, how can I actually finish this race? And I was like, well, I can't help you finish it, but I can come cheer you on. And he was like, but it's in Ireland. I was like, yeah, Ireland's only a flight away. <laughs> I went and, and, and cheered him on. And I've actually met a few of the people. I met um, one of the participants was in Norway. And yeah. uh, I met her a few times and kind of tried to cheer her along with, with her uh, mm-hmm. entrepreneurial endeavors. And I met a few other people along the way as well. And it's been, uh, it's been a really good, good bunch of people. I think the general concept of Altitude is fantastic because of the because of the openness, right? You have so many opportunities to have short, brief, uh, intermittent conversations with people that are either deep or, or not, and they are you know, long, short, they're part of an activity or not. And I think the, the magic that you guys have managed to do there is that that is how you realistically make friends. Mm. You basically manufacture this situation where, okay, this is the friend, friend factory. You just put yourself in one end and you come out the other end with, with new insights and new new connections. Yeah. Maybe we should rebrand ourselves the friend factory. The friend factory. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're a home for lonely people. <laughs> Carl, right. Carl's, Carl's posting domain names on um, on the questions registered friendfactory.com. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, we don't take long to innovate around here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. I think Jack, so Jack, our friend who we collaborated with on the event, he described it well. He's like. We get to know each other as people, and then at the end of the week, you go, "What does he do again?" And then yeah. you know, work out ways to work together. And I think traditional networking is quite the opposite. It's you know everyone walking around with business cards, trying yeah. to sell. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? Yeah, yeah exactly. And and you just get the stack of them. You just chuck them in the bin. You forgot forgot everyone you met. So um, yeah, there's something about being out in nature. Something about just hanging out with some cool people, and it just seems to create that magic, which which yeah we see, and it yeah it gives us energy. We get so much every time we go to altitude. We change something with what we're doing and it creates a shift in us as whatever as everyone else should come yeah. with a health warning probably because some people have started companies some people have closed companies <laughs> including us after going so um but i think what it does do like all the events we do just create space and i think there's one thing we don't get enough of is that space to actually stand back at what we're doing and get that bird's eye view and that's i think where people then go oh okay you don't need to be told what to do i know exactly what i need to do and, and it's a lot clearer and simpler than it was before but that's the funny thing, right? Everybody already has the answers. They just need to be teased out. You, you know, you, you have three options in your head. One of them is glowing slightly. You know, you know it's the right answer. You just need somebody to come along and, and, and ask the right questions to make that even more obvious. So at some point you go, yeah, that is the right answer. I have to do this thing. It's not easy or it's not really what I want to do, but it's the right thing. So let's do that thing. Yeah, and I saw that happen so many times uh, on the mountaintop, right? People walking mm. up the side of a mountain and having these kinds of conversations that are really impactful for that reason. Yeah, I think a lot of time, since you remember me pitching something, you're kind of asking permission, saying, um, "This is what we're thinking of doing. We're not sure what to do, but here's what we're pretty much thinking of doing." And everyone's like, "So you know what you're doing?" You're like, "Yeah." So just <laughs> okay. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, go and do it. So what's the question? <laughs> Move on. Next. So yeah, um, expect more epiphany moments this year in, in the Altitude in June. So we're actually going out in a couple of weeks to the June edi- uh, to the Europe edition. Um, again, we've got a great group. Um, and yeah, we always get different outcomes because it's different people and different people coming from different countries, which creates that. Yeah. I suppose what we're trying to get away from is that bubble. You know, you're in Silicon Valley, we're in Brighton. Whichever city or town you're in, you've got your little 
your little community that you're in and I suppose what we're trying to do is break that a bit by just challenging some of that and asking some difficult questions which um, yeah can be challenging but I think generally gets people further along. Cool um, to stop Carlos posting any more random domain names in the question <laughs> I'm going to end this now. <laughs> um, thanks a lot Haya for taking the time out to talk to me I know you probably not even have any breakfast yet so you're, you're probably uh, missing some caffeine or something. Um, if you want to check more about Life Folder, head to life-folder.com. Um, if you want to find out more about Happy Startup School, it's the happystartupschool.com. Um, if, um, yeah, if you're interested in Life Folder, go and sign up and um, check it out. I've been taking it for a spin. It's going to kind of shake you up a bit, but I think it's a good thing to do. Like we said, it's, um, it's not an easy subject to tackle, but I think most of our audience tend to be people who are a bit more open-minded, and I think this is something that will definitely tap into what they're thinking already um best of luck with everything look forward to seeing where it goes and uh yeah let's stay in touch and hope to hook up in october thank you for having me all right cheers hi take care cheers <clears throat>